0: my name is jeremy devins and this is the yoga teacher training podcast and today we continue this series of the eight limbs of yoga starting with the first yama so the yamas are the restraints the things that we do not do and the first one is ahimsa so not harming so we'll talk about what that means in your own practice and as a teacher how you can apply that and how you can apply that being a student to other teachers because there's some very interesting ways that it shows up because we don't think of yoga as harmful by any stretch. It seems like the opposite of harm, just to do yoga. But there are many insidious little sneaky ways that harming can sneak into our practice and then, of course, into our lives. And if it's unchecked in the practice and we think there's no way I'm doing any harm at all, it's impossible... It's probably equally unconscious in the day-to-day life. So we become aware of it in our practices so we can become aware of it in our relationships and our actions outside of the practice. So if you're enjoying this series and this podcast, check out my membership site, quietmind.yoga slash membership, which is open now for enrollment. And there I give in-depth weekly lessons, mini workshops on different topics, like how to do certain poses, different yoga philosophy aspects, and weekly live Zoom classes every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Central Standard Time. And those are recorded. And in each class, there's a deliberate practice, so it's not just random postures or random sequences, but each class is focused on a deliberate development of your practice, such as regulating your nervous system, or strengthening your agni, the digestive fire, or something like practicing ahimsa and how you can specifically practice it. So if you wanna learn those sort of things and really deepen your practice in what's a scientifically backed way of deepening practice, deliberate practice, takes 10,000 hours or about 10 years to really become a master in something. And as long as you're doing deliberate practice, not just random, any sort of practice. So that's what the membership is all about. And there's a community to get feedback on your practice. You can go on there and do a Facebook live and share little videos of your practice and get direct feedback. slash membership. All right. So getting into Ahimsa today, I want to start with a few quotes because they're are some great quotes from people who have different perspectives on this but they all have a similar sort of conclusion so starting with vivekananda who has a great interpretation of the yoga sutra where this is all stemming from this whole series and they talk about the eight limbs of yoga and uh, ahimsa is mentioned there and it talks about non-killing being established in his presence all enmities cease In themselves and in others so all enmities like uh, aggression people being hostile enemies starting conflicts frustrations anger any sort of challenge or conflict or obstacle they start to cease in the presence of anybody who has established ahimsa non-harming in themselves here's what vivekananda says i'm going to share these quotes and then share my thoughts on things He says, if a man gets the idea of non-injuring others, before him even animals which are by their nature ferocious will become peaceful. The tiger and the lamb will play together before that yogi and will not hurt each other. When you have come to that state, then alone you will understand what you have become firmly established in non-injuring. So that's from Vivekananda's interpretation of the Yoga Sutra. And then I have several quotes here from Gandhi who essentially... Designed his whole life based on living through ahimsa. And you likely know about his nonviolent protest and how that led to the independence of India. And he was all about practicing nonviolence. How can we essentially resolve this conflict without more conflict, without resistance and violence? And here's some quotes from Gandhi. The first one is Ahimsa is the highest duty. Even if we cannot practice it in full, we must try to understand its spirit and refrain as far as is humanly possible from violence. Now, if you know about Gandhi a little bit, he did not practice this perfectly. He was a human being, he was not a saint or a god. Of course, he had his flaws as well, but it was his aim and I've, I feel his legacy in many ways to practice this for the most part and most effectively. Um, but of course he was flawed and human and I think in many ways from a Native American tradition they say when you set out for example to be non-harming you'll get every possible obstacle in your way that will make you want to harm and trigger your reactions and your reactivity so you have to overcome those obstacles and I would say that ultimately he did overcome those obstacles but he did have mistakes along the way just like all of us do which I think is more grounding and uh, encouraging to know that you know somebody held in such high esteem was not perfect, and as we aspire to these ideals as well, we're not gonna be perfect. He also says, strictly speaking, no activity and in no industry is possible without a certain amount of violence, no matter how little. Even the very process of living is impossible without a certain amount of violence. What we have to do is to minimize it to the greatest extent possible. So again, it's, it's part of being human, like without, you can't go outside your house without stepping on a bug at some point, or uh, you have to kill plants. Even if you're a strict vegan, you have to kill plants. Plants are living things. You have to, you know, so there's no way you can go through your entire life without harming something, Uh, but we want to minimize that as best we can. The next says the power of unarmed violence is any day far superior to that of armed forces. And he demonstrated that with the nonviolent protest, ultimately leading to the liberation of India. And uh, next, we'll go and look at some other quotes from other teachers. So, Shivananda says Ahimsa is not mere negative injury, it is positive cosmic love. It is the development of a mental attitude in which hatred is replaced by love. Ahimsa is true sacrifice, Ahimsa is forgiveness, Ahimsa is Shakti, power. Ahimsa is true strength. That comes from Shivananda. And then somebody who is not uh, considered a yogi by most people, but he did definitely read the Bhagavad Gita regularly, as Thomas Edison, who says, nonviolence leads to the highest ethics, which is the goal of all evolution. Until we stop harming all other living beings, we are still savages. So that's some of the most... uh, I think poignant quotes that I've found on ahimsa from people who lived and practiced it to the best of their ability. And something interesting in there uh, I want to come back to later is about essentially how it's really about love. When you're practicing nonviolence, it's not about what you're avoiding so much as what you're choosing instead. So we'll come back to that towards the end. Uh, But in your yoga practice, it might not seem like you're harming yourself. Of course, you're doing something that's great for yourself. Everybody can agree on that. But there are little ways that it sneaks in. And there's four ways that I'm gonna talk about here that I've seen it sneak into yoga practices. Number one is, maybe the most obvious, maybe not, but maybe for you is noticing little judgments and comparisons in your practice. So maybe you practice with someone near you and you look at them and you see what they're doing and you you compare yourself and you feel less than. That's harming yourself. That's, that's comparing is essentially saying that uh, I am not good enough, I am not enough as I am, and someone else is better than me. And that's not that would never be the words that we use to to say that, but essentially it's a harmful thing to say, and you would never say that, I would think, most people would never say that to somebody else. You would never say, for example, you could do crow pose and the person next to you is struggling with it. You would never say to them, I'm better than you, I can do this pose better than you, therefore I'm better and you're a lesser person that's very unlikely and if you do think that way then that's interesting i'd love to hear more about that uh, but uh if you you know you you probably don't think that way but for some reason when it's in our own heads we don't put it into words we don't let it out and it might not even be in a verbal thing but it's a verbal words but it's sort of this feeling this internal internalized sort of sentiment that you know i'm not as good as them and and if you said it out loud, it might take away some of its power. And often that is true. And when you just put words to these these thoughts, that sometimes it takes away their power. You you voice them, and what uh, Alex Gray, the the artist, would say, make the monsters visible, and they're not so scary anymore. Uh, but you you take that that thought in your mind, and and just maybe. Form it a little fully a little more fully and just acknowledge like, okay, there's this thought in my head that because I can't do a posture or because I'm having a hard time focusing or because I feel just off today, that I'm saying I'm judging myself as lesser than or not enough. To just acknowledge that and just just acknowledging it and now you see it. it's like, okay, there's this part of me that acknowledges that um, I, I see myself as lesser than. That's harming myself. And then ultimately, uh, awareness is always the first step and always the most important skill. So you become aware of it and that now you know it's there. And before you even try to say, okay, well, we need to practice non-harming. We need to get rid of this. This is not good. In a way, that is harming as well. So a really interesting approach to this is love and approval. Just like what I mentioned in that quote. Uh, I'll bring that one back up again and look at it and repeat it here. Uh Ahimsa is not mere negative non-injury, it is positive cosmic love. It is the development of a mental attitude in which hatred is replaced by love. Ahimsa is true sacrifice, forgiveness, power, and true strength. So replacing this judgment of, I love my body where it's at. I love my practice where I'm at. I love their practice and that person and that person I'm comparing myself to where they're at. And it, it just, that's it period, right? There's no need to explain or justify or logic or ration. Just, I love myself where I'm at. I'll keep doing my best. Doesn't mean I'm just going to like stop trying at everything and, uh, and just say, well, I love myself, so I don't need to do anything. That in a way is harming as well, because now you're you're sort of abnegating your responsibility, abnegating your self-care. Instead, it's just, I love myself and I'm here showing up and that's what matters. I'm just being present for myself and my own experience. And you might even, might not be someone else, but your past, maybe you yesterday you could do, everything felt really good, you were super flexible and open, your mind was clear, and then today it's just like all the opposite. Everything is challenging, you're, you're just distracted, you're anxious, you're tense. And can you love that part of yourself too? Because here's the real magical thing, the really powerful thing about this. If you can love that part of yourself, when you see it in other people, you can love it in them too. So when your best friend or your partner or somebody you don't like necessarily, if you feel enmity towards someone else and they're doing things you don't like, can you find those qualities in yourself and love them in yourself? Then it takes away all that power of judging them or that power that you felt they had for being a certain way and it irks you and offends you and irritates you now you see like i can be selfish i can be arrogant i can be defensive i can be afraid worried anxious i can be all those things that i'm judging as is them and i don't want it and it's got to go away and i don't like it get away right that's harmful so essentially you have enmity towards them but really the real yogic teaching is it's all just a reflection of you so the more you can find love acceptance and approval and non-judgment non-harming for yourself the more naturally you'll be able to find that for others as well and it naturally just radiates out into all of your relationships and now you have this love and approval for yourself this love and approval for others and because the universe is a reflection of your internal experience it's reflected back to you people express their love and appreciation for you and it becomes this virtuous circle that at times, of course, will not always be the case. And there's going to be days you wake up grumpy and you encounter somebody grumpy. And the first response that I invite you to explore for yourself is to notice those judgments and comparisons, just like I said at the beginning of this, this point, and can you meet them with love rather than enmity and harm, right? So, of course, you're not killing people, very unlikely, unless you're in is your somehow your profession in the military or something Uh, you're not actively intending to set out to say i'm going to harm someone today but those little actions those judgments against yourself those judgments against others can be harmful acts and they can be reconciled just by expressing love just finding a genuine authentic sense of appreciation to know i get to be alive for you know maybe a hundred years at most I get to be a human being and experience this body and it's not going to last forever and i can go through this experience with enmity and anger and frustration and hatred towards others or i can go through it with appreciation that like this is this is a blip you know i get to be here for this blip and it's it's fleeting and fast and then it's over and uh, i'm going to choose to engage with choosing what i appreciate about it and it eliminates the harm from others by eliminating the harm from you and it creates this virtuous circle. In my experience, and I've definitely seen that, when I'm in a conflict with somebody and I feel like it's stuck and we're both just at odds with each other, I focus on how can I love myself more in this moment? What is it about them that I'm judging or criticizing or don't love? And what is it about them that I don't love that I see in myself? So maybe you've heard this phrase of every one finger you're pointing at somebody else, there's three pointing back at you. So that person is mean or harsh or judgmental or arrogant or how am I those things, right? So just turning it back to yourself, how am I those things and how have those things served me? Can I have love and approval and appreciation of those parts of myself because they protected me, they maybe kept me safe when I was a child when I was maybe needed to protect myself from a, a harmful situation or a traumatic experience. Uh, there's there's valid healthy positive reasons that those coping skills were developed and those responses to life were developed and the sooner we can get in touch with that love and appreciation of those then they lose their power and we find our real power is in love number two when negative thoughts arise cultivate the opposite so this is sort of the quicker version of what i just said is pratipaksha bhavana from the yoga sutra when negative thoughts arise cultivate the opposite if you feel like you're stuck this person is x y or z uh how am i x y or z that would be the opposite or how are they a b or c that would be the opposite right what's the opposite of x y and z how are they that as well so just finding you know because everything is a polarity there's There's always two sides to the coin. There's always the yin to the yang. Everything in our experience as humans, there's always two sides to it. If we judge somebody as harsh, there's probably just as many examples of them being compassionate and kind. So always, when negative thoughts arise, cultivate the opposite. And what I've done in my head after years of doing this kind of work is when those thoughts start to come up, I'll usually say something like, oh, or "Uh uh-oh. Or there's that thing again, you know, it's um, just this sort of awareness, this acknowledgement of, oh, I'm not going to go there. So I don't let those thoughts uh, take over like they used to, because it's valid to feel them. It's important to feel them. Absolutely. And at a certain point, it's important to not let them dictate and drive and to control your life, because they will. Just like weeds will overtake a garden. And it's important to weed your garden at times; otherwise, the whole thing just gets overrun, right? So, this is a way of weeding: you take the weeds out, you cultivate the opposite, you notice those thoughts, and maybe have a little phrase like I do in your head—just oh, you know, just something to just sort of interrupt the thought before it starts to take hold and the roots start to take uh, the weeds start to take a root and take over your garden. Number three. Rather than assume authority, so this is over uh, for teachers, rather than assume authority over students, direct them towards their inner authority. So, this is most obvious with the most recent sort of uh, coming out of abuse in different yoga communities. Unfortunately, you know, with people people like BKS Iyengar, Patavi Joyce, Bikram, Chaudhary, you know, different teachers uh, sort of abusing their power and being. Uh, abusive to their students with their words or their actions. and developing this this authority over students. You know it is part of the Indian tradition to have a guru, a teacher, somebody who helps you learn and develop skills and see the light. The guru is the Gu and Ru, the uh, light and darkness, someone who brings light into the darkness. We all need teachers. We all need people to guide us. But ultimately we need to be very cautious of those teachers who keep guiding us back to them and insisting their authority is the ultimate authority and instead return to our inner authority. So any teacher who ultimately continues to guide you back to their authority is highly questionable of their motivations, I would suggest. If a teacher is continually guiding you towards your inner authority, then it's, I think, a healthier, safer relationship where you're walking with this person because we're all human beings on this journey together. And I understand there are some people who are maybe believed to be or uh, expounded upon or or present themselves as uh, more than human. Uh, But I think the history books at this point would show that most of those people uh, have just as many flaws as any of us. So I would suggest that rather than giving authority to any teacher or one lineage or one way of doing things, that you realize and act and and live in a way that is in alignment with your inner authority, what, what feels right for you. So if it doesn't feel right for you, if you feel questioning, if you feel confused, if you feel like, I don't know about this. That to me is enough to just say take a break, just step away. I've been in plenty of communities where that has been the case, where it's like I'm not sure, like, and I'm very open-minded, so I would say oh, I'm not sure, like what you know. Show me your perspective. Show me what I don't see. And oftentimes, that confusion is ultimately just a result of people, like that's a symptom that somebody is uh, exercising their authority over you in overriding your instincts and intuition. So step away, take a break from it, get perspective from somebody completely outside of that sphere. And here's the thing, usually when you're in those spheres, one of the first things they'll tell you is everybody outside of our sphere doesn't get it. And those people are wrong and we're better than them essentially. A lot of them wouldn't use those specific words, but that is the message they're sending so when you notice somebody continually requiring you to do things their way dress the way the teacher says speak the way the teacher says teachers giving a student name a new name uh, all these sort of things are big red flags to say how is this directing me back towards my inner authority because the ultimate teaching of the vedanta philosophy of the yoga sutra of all this stuff Is that the witnessing awareness, the Atman inside of me that's observing my experience and my thoughts, is the exact same one that's inside of you? That's what we say, that's what we're saying when we say Namaste. The light, the Atman, the true self in me bows to the light, the true self in you. And what a lot of these teachers are saying is the light in me knows what's best for you. And that's only possible. If the light in me knows what's, if they're saying that it knows what's best for the human experience of you, like your name, your identity, the role you play, all those things can be subverted, controlled, misled, abused, neglected, and aimed at the real means and direction that the teacher is going rather than your inner authority. But when you come back to your inner authority, that's when you say, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right, I'm not sure about this. Your inner authority is saying, I know what's right for me, uh, but my identity, my ego, John Smith, who works at X, Y, and Z for X, Y, and Z dollars, uh, is now being told by this guru that this is what it should be and who I should be. Uh, The inner authority watches all that play out and says, "Mm, wait a minute, I don't know about that, I know what's best for me. Uh, but I'm confused here. So that confusion is just a red flag that you're starting to be uh, sort of controlled by this external authority. And I encourage you to take your power back. And, And as a teacher, to be aware of this dynamic because all teachers were put into this role where we could play out that dynamic very easily. And this is something I've had to really watch in myself. And again, like I mentioned before, be aware of my judgments of others because I was very cautious of those kind of teachers, but to really see, like, as a teacher, I'm stepping into that same risky situation of where I am given the floor for an hour as a yoga teacher. The person who comes to my class is saying, I trust you with my body and my energy and my attention, and I'm going to do everything that you say for the next hour. Right. So that's a huge responsibility as a teacher. When students come to you, they're going to do everything you say for the next hour. whatever time you have with them so use it skillfully and mindfully and this is where ahimsa is so necessary because everything you do has a huge effect on them and it can be harmful and detrimental or it could be helpful and ultimately I think that the question to ask is am I assuming authority over the student or am I walking with them and pointing them in the direction of their inner authority and helping them notice where maybe they've let their attention go elsewhere, to social media or other things that are outside of themselves. How can I guide them back to their inner authority? What is right for you? So I'll often say in poses, all right, stay here or add this. So you can stay in this pose. This is a great place to be. If this feels right for your body, stay here. If you wanna add on and do something a little more complicated or challenging or a different variation of a pose, you can do this. Uh, If you want to do this variation, you can do that. Or if you want to do that variation. So I'm always giving options and letting them choose and giving them choice in what experience they want to have. In general, yes, as a teacher, you're directing the majority of the experience and the choices are within that experience that you're guiding and there's a trust and relationship there in that. But ultimately, the, the entire purpose of the whole thing, I feel has got to be directed towards moving them towards their inner authority, so then they walk out of class, they feel a little more self-aware, a little more embodied, a little more confident in themselves, and they know what they need to do. Like if they're going to go practice at home without me, if they never practice with me again, at least they've learned one thing that they can do to feel good in their bodies when they want to, or one practice, or one posture, or just something that is helpful for them to have their improved mind-muscle connection, or body awareness, or breath awareness. So that's number three, rather than assuming authority over students, direct them towards their inner authority to practice ahimsa. Then finally, number four is using invitational cues rather than authoritative cues, uh, while still being active in the cues rather than passive in the cues. So this is just expounding on the last one, where i'd say you know you can come here into this pose and you could do this so you could do that but still it's not just random you know you do whatever you want i don't know you know it's like i i am here transmitting an experience of things that i've learned and things that have been empowering for me so they can be empowering for you and i can just pass it on and i'm as best i can just being a vessel for these teachings and inviting them to explore and notice and experience different things and uh, so ultimately, similar to the metaphor of the finger pointing at the moon, right? So uh, my classes as best I can, and I encourage you to find teachers who do this, and as a teacher to do this, uh, a student is asking you so, like you know, to, for guidance and direction, and there's that sort of Chinese metaphor of pointing at the moon, and you point at the moon, and the teacher, and the student rather, looks at your finger pointing at the moon and thinks that's where they need to put their attention. And now it's about you and they don't look at where your finger is pointing over at the moon right so it's that kind of idea As ultimately we're just pointing back to rather than the moon the Atman the true self the witnessing awareness within and everything we do is meant to aim to that purpose I feel this is the best way to practice ahimsa non harming so I hope you found this helpful this overview of how to practice ahimsa as a student and teacher and if you want to learn more with me, go to quietmindyoga membership, where I will be sharing over the next several weeks, I'll be adding practices to practice and embody these teachings of the eight limbs of yoga. And currently there's a weekly live class on Zoom that you can join in as part of that and, my, and weekly mini workshops. So thank you for listening and look forward to sharing more with you next week on the Yoga Teacher Training Podcast.